Let us pray. Holy God, we take this time now to sort of hit the pause button on everything that is going on in our minds right now, everything that's going on in our hearts that may distract us from hearing whatever it is that you have to say to us this morning. We ask that you give us the grace to receive the words that are about to be read and to allow these holy words to somehow make their way into our hearts and transform us. We ask that you give us the grace to hear, to see, and to receive in a way that only your spirit can allow us to do. We ask that you bless the reading and the hearing of the word and that as we spend this time in your presence, Lord, that this will somehow uh, move us a little further along the road of sanctification so that we may become a more Christ-like people. Bless this time that we have together in your presence. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please stand if you are able for the reading of the word. Our scripture this morning comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 20, verses 24 through 29. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. This is our last week in the Gospel of John. We've been going through the Gospel of John since the beginning of the year, and as we've been doing it, We've been looking at the experiences, firsthand experiences people have had with Jesus, and we've been talking about how in our own Christian walk we can experience Jesus firsthand ourselves. Since John deals so much with experience, experiencing Jesus, I think that it's only appropriate that this whole series concludes with a word about doubt. After all of these experiences, after all that we've seen and all that we've read, now we have to address the subject of doubt. Why wouldn't that come at the beginning? Why does that come at the end of the Gospel of John? Well, because I think that it is always an appropriate thing for us to discuss, always an appropriate thing for us to explore and even confess, because the truth is every one of us have our moments of doubt. Doubt can come in very many different ways. We can doubt that God will provide for us. We can doubt that God has our best interest at heart. 
We may even doubt some of the things that we have been told or read in the scripture because they just seem so hard to grasp. We may even doubt the reality of God himself. But the thing is, we don't often talk about these doubts. A lot of times we suppress them. They exist somewhere in the back of our mind, and instead we just project more faith or we try to muster up more faith as if we can somehow do something within ourselves to, to quell that doubt, to, to stomp it out. And we don't want to talk about our own doubts, even though it is something that we all deal with at different times. Thomas is an easy target. As we look at this passage and we see Thomas in his moment of doubt, it's easy for us, being in the know, having read that Jesus is resurrected, it is easy for us to look at Thomas and say, man, what is, what is your deal? Why can't you believe this? I mean, after all, Thomas had already witnessed some miraculous things, right? Thomas had followed Jesus for years. Thomas had seen Jesus perform miracles. Thomas had even seen Jesus bring Lazarus back to death. I mean, back, back to life from the dead. So why was it so hard for Thomas to believe that, that Jesus would be able to somehow raise himself up? And so we read this and we're like, Thomas, come on, man. You've seen some miraculous things and yet you still doubt it? Was it really that much of a stretch? And then we think, well, he had the testimony. He had the, wit- the witness of all these other disciples. And, and when you have the witness of all these other disciples, you think that he would believe that. Because these weren't just some random people. These were his buddies. These were friends that he had been in ministry with, that he had been following Jesus with. Thomas himself was a proclaimer of Jesus' message. And so here he is with other proclaimers of Jesus' message. And they're proclaiming a message to him, and he's not having it. He's not buying it. And you would think that he, he would because he's from a shared world with those disciples. A lot of times we receive a message from someone if we have this relationship of trust. The disciples certainly should have had that relationship of trust. For three years they were a close-knit group that followed Jesus Christ together. And so they had this shared world, this shared experience. A lot of times when... Uh, when, when I've met soldiers who will come home and they've been in combat situations, it, I'll notice they are very, very reluctant to talk about anything that has happened, anything that they have seen. And, and they won't talk about it with their, their families, really. They won't talk about it with their friends, their church members, whatever. They won't. But you get a group of soldiers together who have shared experiences, and those stories will start to come out. And it's because they've, they've lived in that same world. Maybe they didn't serve in the same unit, maybe not even the same area, but they know that world. And so there's this relationship of trust where they can share things. And you would think that Thomas maybe had that with the disciples. They had gone into battle together for the sake of Jesus many, many times. They had been proclaimers together. And so when, when he hears this message from them, why did he not receive it? Not only did he not receive it, he said he would never believe it. He would never believe it unless he could see it firsthand for himself. Like I said, we have the luxury of being in the know. We have the luxury of reading this passage and knowing that Jesus was alive. But we can't look down on Thomas too much because 
as I said earlier, we all have the tendency to doubt. We are prone to doubt. That is just part of our human nature. And, and it's a sign that our human nature, that our mind is working the way it's supposed to. God gave us all the ability to use reason and to use logic and to formulate our own opinions. And this is a blessing. And the fact that we are sometimes doubtful should let us know, hey, our, our ability to use logic and reason is working like it should. So that's a good thing. But it can backfire on us when we take it too far. The reason why is because the ability to use reason, the ability to use logic, those are natural abilities. They're human abilities. And we can't use natural abilities to grasp something supernatural. God is supernatural. Jesus Christ, as the Son of God, is supernatural. The resurrection is a mystery that we can't possibly understand. So we can't grasp it with our mind. And the fact that a doubt would enter into our human mind should not be something that we feel ashamed of or guilty of. It's natural. It's natural for a human mind to not be able to grasp something eternal and supernatural. God is a mystery, and that's why we worship him. We serve a God that we don't fully understand. If we fully understood him, he would not be God. If you ever meet somebody that says that they've got everything about God and about the scriptures figured out, run from them. They're lying. Either that or they're delusional. We can't possibly know the mysteries of God, the mysteries of Jesus Christ, the mysteries of the resurrection. There's always going to be that that big area. It's not just a little area. There's a big area where we just remain in awe. And wonder, and that's what worship is. It's realizing God is wonderful and too, too high above our comprehension for us to even understand. I've told you before that, that Roger's a pretty smart guy. Um, we, we have conversations from time to time in the office about uh, sermons after the fact. And something he said, I actually called him up yesterday and said, Now, I want to use this in a sermon. Where did you hear that? And he was like, well... I just said that myself. I didn't hear it anywhere, which is even more impressive. Anyway, he said that uh, he, he told me one time there was the way he sees it is what we know about God is, is like we can just see the edge of the moon and it's hidden. The rest of it is hidden. It's eclipsed. And we just see that outer line. And as long as we're in this this world, as long as we're in this lifetime, we will never be able to see the whole moon. And that's a great analogy. We can see what God allows us to see through revelation, through revealing himself through scriptures, through other people, through prayer. God will reveal himself to us, but he reveals that lining of himself. There is so much that remains a mystery. And as long as that mystery remains, every one of us will have those moments where we doubt, just like Thomas did. And so we can't really fault Thomas for having this moment of doubt, even though he is presented here to, to look very obstinate and hard-headed. But every one of us, when it comes to doubt and faith, we can also be the same way. Now, we can doubt despite what we've seen. Like Thomas, who had witnessed miracles and still doubted, we witness miracles every day. 
We've seen God's providence at work in our lives or in lives of people around us. We've seen God's healing. Every time a new baby comes into the world, that is a miracle. We look at, as I told the kids, we look at nature and we see God's handiwork everywhere. We see miracles every single day. And yet we will still doubt. Uh, when I, I've told you before, when I was a baby, 21 months old, I nearly died. Septic shock. Stopped breathing on the operating table twice. Doctors thought I wouldn't make it. Ten years old, scar tissue formed, blocked off the intestines, went through the whole ordeal again. I survived. But then when I was 30 years old and Claire was pregnant with with Hannah Claire, I got this, this thought in my head. And it just grew and festered. It just became an infection in my mind. And I started thinking... Oh my gosh, we are about to have two small children. What if something horrible happens to me and Claire has to raise two kids by herself? And I just drove myself crazy thinking about that. And and I remember my dad uh, kind of telling me one time, getting fed up about it and kind of telling me one time, just just shut up. You know, he didn't say it like that, but I'm sure he was thinking it. And And what he said was basically, God did not save you from, from these other things. God did not bring you out of these other things just to kill you off right now and make your wife raise your children by herself. And once I realized that, I was like, yeah, God has been working miracles in my life and in the lives of people around me. And so why am I, for no reason at all, just doubting and just, just having this, this sense of paranoia? And I talked about paranoia last week. And it's a glitch. It's a glitch where we, our fear kicks in and, and it just it runs away with us. Doubt can do the same thing. We use our ability to reason and to logic, and then all of a sudden we depend on it so much that it's, it becomes glitchy. And then our doubt and our skepticism overrules the truth that is obvious all around us. The miracles, the providence that is obvious all around us. Being skeptical by nature is, is a normal thing. Just like God gave us the ability to use reason and logic, he also gave us the ability to be skeptical, and this helps us. It keeps us from being scammed, right? When you get an email that is an obvious scam, there's something that kicks in, and you say, wait, this isn't right. Why are they asking for my password? And so you know that, that, that skepticism kicks in. One of my favorite email scams that I got, it didn't take too much skepticism for me to figure it out, that it was a scam. But it was sent to me from Apple, supposedly. And, you know, a lot of times these scams, they'll come from foreign countries. And whoever's doing them, they'll have to translate what they're trying to say into English. And so you'll get an email where something's misspelled or maybe some of the words are a little bit weird or it's phrased weird. And that's kind of the clue. This is a scam. This isn't authentic because it sounds like maybe it's been translated and something got lost in the translation. And so I got this email one time from Apple, supposedly, that said, We would like to inform you that our system is facing problems with the billing information. We invite you to refresh, refresh thirsty bills and more safety organs. I opened that email and immediately that skepticism kicked in. And I said, This is a scam. God gave us the ability to detect these things. I didn't really have to do that much detection on this, but God gave us the ability to detect these things. We are naturally skeptical. 
And then how do we combat that? What do we say? Well, I'll believe it when I see it. That's what Thomas says. I'll believe it when I see it. Something's too good to be true. Wait until I see it until it's true. This is an effective tactic also with salespeople. Have any of you seen the demonstration with the Kirby vacuum cleaners? They come in, they sell you the vacuum, and it's got the, the little pool of water spinning around in there. And you can think, well, yeah, maybe I do need another vacuum. Maybe my house does you know, have some dirt in it or dust or whatever. And they take that hose and they stick it on your couch cushions. And all the, the junk and the dust comes out of the fiber of the cushions and goes into that little swirling pool of water and turns it black. And you look at all that and you're like, oh, gosh, that's what I've been sitting on every day. And you see it. And all of a sudden you believe, I need this vacuum cleaner. It's very effective. Seeing is believing. But we don't want to believe it until we see it. That's our human nature. And that's how Thomas was. That's why we pray the prayer, just as the centurion in the Gospel of Mark said, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. I can't tell you how many times I've prayed this prayer. It's a very humbling prayer to pray, but it's the prayer God wants to hear us pray. It's the prayer that says, I have faith, Lord, but my faith is weak and I need you to make it stronger. Because what, what we sometimes don't understand is we can't muster up faith. Faith is the result of God's grace. Paul said, it's by faith we are saved through grace. Not of works, should we boast. And that means that if we think faith is something that we can achieve, something we can muster up in ourselves, we've missed the point. We are treating faith as a work. Faith comes through grace. And so when we pray, Lord, give me faith. Increase my faith. Help me grow in faith. My faith is weak. We are saying simultaneously, I have faith. That's why I'm praying out to you. I believe, but help my unbelief. Help me grow. Give me the grace to be strengthened in my faith. And I believe that whenever we pray that, God hears it and God answers it. How do we grow in grace? How do we grow in faith? By experiencing Jesus. And how do we experience Jesus? We experience it in a number of ways. It's what we've been talking about since the 1st of January. But we always experience Jesus when we come together. We experience Jesus in the church in a community of faith. We call it a community of faith because we build each other up. When one person's faith is weak, when one person is filled with doubt and uncertainty, we are plugged into that community of faith where we are strengthened. We are made strong. And we experience Jesus through each other. So I want, I want to end this by saying Thomas did not believe because he was not with the other disciples. The other disciples were all gathered together and Jesus appeared to them. Where was Thomas? We don't know. We have no idea. It doesn't say where he was, but he wasn't with the disciples. And so while they had faith, while they experienced Jesus, he experienced doubt. And when he finally did believe, it was because he experienced Jesus in the presence of the others. You see, we cannot fully experience Christ. We cannot fully grow in our faith unless we are growing in our faith together. We experience Christ through each other and with each other 
And that strengthens us. Because there are days when my faith is going to be weak and yours is strong. And there are going to be days where your faith is weak and mine is strong. And we come together and we share Jesus and we share faith and we are strengthened. And those doubts that we all have, they are calmed. And they're replaced with a deeper belief. Doubt is natural. We hate to admit it, but it's something that we all have to deal with. Rather than being discouraged by it, we need to take comfort in knowing that doubt proves our minds are functioning the way God intended them to. Our ability to reason and logic are working like they're supposed to. But doubt can be very uncomfortable for us as we're on our faith journey because it can pop up even in the midst of an otherwise faith-filled journey. We can take comfort in knowing that even Jesus' closest and first followers had times of deep doubt. But Jesus continued to appear and reappear to them in their doubt. The words of Jesus should comfort us as we go through our seasons of doubt. But when words are not enough, his presence will be. And when our past experiences are not enough to remind us of his presence in our lives, when they are not enough to quell and calm our doubts, he still makes himself available to us so that our faith can be restored. The question is, are we making ourselves available to him? Are we allowing space for his grace to keep transforming us? Are we allowing room for our faith to be nurtured by his grace? Let us all do these things and let us do them together because our faith is strengthened when we experience Jesus and we always experience him best when we experience him together. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for the ability to think, to reason, to use logic. We thank you for the gifts that you gave us to use our minds and not just mindly accept everything that we are mindlessly accept everything that we have been told. But Lord, we ask that where our human minds fail us, that you allow your grace to come in and intercede. We allow uh, that grace to come into our lives this morning, Lord, and we ask that that grace will grow faith within us. We know that our faith is only possible because of the grace that you bestow upon us. And so we ask for a greater measure of it. We ask that you help us to believe where we do have doubt. Lord, like Thomas, we have every reason to believe, every experience on our side to believe, but yet... Doubt can still be a very real thing and a very challenging thing for us. But Lord, we trust you and we thank you that you appear to us even in the midst of our doubt. And we ask that in the midst of those experiences, you speak life and you speak hope and faith into us through the power of the resurrected Christ. We pray all these things in his name. Amen.